Tomorrow's Memorial Day, so that's pretty fun. Does anybody know what today is? Sunday. Sunday. What else is today, anybody? I'm not hearing what I wanna hear. Jerusalem Day, come on, you guys. Did you know it's Jerusalem Day? It's a big deal right now. Um, Jerusalem Day is a mess right now. Uh, As we speak in Jerusalem, uh, there's trouble because Jerusalem Day is an annual uh, remembrance of when the Jews back in uh, 67 on June 7th, of course they do it on different days to our calendar because we have a different calendar than they do. But um, back in 67, uh, Jerusalem was taken back by the Jews. And so this is the, the time they celebrate Jerusalem Day and they do a flag march uh, with the Israeli flag. And, and, and um, you know, it, it usually is a little tense this year. It's a little chaotic over there. And, um, and it's because of the unrest in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, right where we are in our Through the Bible study, the Bible deals with this question of why is Jerusalem such a big deal? And so it's really appropriate that we take time this morning to do a little homework. And I've got a lot to say and a lot to cover. So we better get going. I better hurry because I've been so late. Last two services were um, a little late. And if I do that at this service, it'll be not only chaotic in Jerusalem, it'll be chaotic here in our parking lot. So uh, let's get to it. Zechariah chapter 12. Why don't you turn there? Um, In Zechariah chapter 12, we have this powerful uh, word given to Zechariah the prophet from the Lord about Jerusalem and the nations that try to handle Jerusalem. Check it out. It's uh, Zechariah 12, one is where we'll begin. There it says, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and former, uh, pardon me, formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about when they shall be in siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Key phrase there that you should notice as a flag is in that day. And and that's a phrase Zechariah is gonna use many times here, but we're talking about the day of the Lord. We've covered this in previous teachings. The day of the Lord is when God says, that's it, time's up. And he intervenes into the, um, the world. Uh, you know, and, he, and it starts with the rapture of the church and goes into the tribulation period. That's the day of the Lord. And then even in the millennial kingdom, uh, the day of the Lord is coming. But as that day approaches, as we uh, see, I think the rapture of the church is the next event that needs to happen. Then um, this, this is gonna come to fullness uh, where all the nations of the world are gonna gather against Jerusalem. Now, what's amazing about the times you and I live, and the Bible says don't be ignorant about Israel and don't be ignorant about the times that we're living. Um, there's most nations of the world are opposed to Israel this very day. Um, some nations hate Israel. Uh, the worst of the worst are like the Iranians who say the Jews need to be driven into the sea and you know, they have no right to exist. Uh, not only as a nation, but as a people group. They're almost like Adolf Hitler level, hating Jews and wanting to exterminate an entire population. That's the Iranian uh, perspective. And even their president uh, would say that. Remember when Ahmadinejad was a leader of that nation, he would just say it. We're gonna drive the Jews into the sea, death to Israel, death to the Americans. Uh, like it was, they weren't even trying to hide it. But meanwhile, so much of the world hates the Jews and say, you guys have no right to be in Jerusalem or occupying, they say, as they call it, the, the land. So to, you know, today, May, May 29th, we, we've got Jerusalem Day, as the Jews are saying, we have a right to exist. Um, in fact, this article uh, was just this morning, um, Jerusalem Post article, Jerusalem Day, record 2,600 Jews visit Temple Mount uh, ahead of flag march. Um, this is the biggest amount of Jews on the Temple Mount for probably, hundreds of years, if not more. Um, This is an amazing thing that happened this morning on the Jerusalem day. Um, 2,600 Israelis visited Temple Mount Conbound Sunday morning um, ahead of the controversial um, flag march around Jerusalem's old city. During the visits, Arab rioters threw chairs, rocks, fired fireworks toward Israeli security forces operating on the Temple Mount, as well as toward the uh, Mukarabi Bridge, bringing Jewish worshipers to the site. Um, uh, the Israeli police claimed. But 
Um, you know, the, the tension on the Temple Mount continues to rage. And, you know, the Palestinians, would, they would do a much bigger show of force if, if they could. Um, the Jews have turned over the Temple Mount to, to the uh, Muslims uh, back uh, right after they took it. Um, you see, that, that's a big story. And, and if I've gone through some of this history with you before, uh, I would say to that, good, the Christian church needs to understand the uh, history of Israel. And if, if some of this is familiar, I hope, hopefully some of you are getting to where you haven't memorized. Because I feel like we should know this, this, the history of Israel because the Bible says, don't be ignorant about my people, about Jerusalem, about Israel. And yet there's not only ignorance, but propaganda and lies that have been um, you know, pushed about the Jews and about Israel. So I wanna show you biblically um, what the Lord says about Jerusalem in his word and about uh, what's gonna happen in the last days. And it's kind of an important thing to know this. So um, Jerusalem, what makes it such a big deal? Why is Jerusalem an important city? There's no seaport. There's no river or not much for natural resources. Um, it's just Jerusalem stone everywhere. And I have to say, there's some beauty. This is some, these are some of my pictures from my iPhone uh, and a couple of my visits. This is the East Gate looking down from the, near the, um, um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and then as you go, there's things like the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. I'm not really into that It's because it's uh, um, uh, Constantine's mother who said this is where Jesus died. Uh, she wasn't a historian and I don't think she knew what she was talking about. But this church is, you know, very, very old. Um, and, um, and, you know, I took a picture of this pillar because people carved these interesting crosses in them. But um, here uh, is Athey Creekers on an on a early morning. We were uh, able to get onto the Temple Mount uh, right here is where there's clashes and all the Muslims are yelling, Allahu Akbar, right here. And the Jews are marching in this very courtyard where we're standing. Um, if you can see it on the news uh, this morning. Um, and we make our way to the Golden Dome, Dome of the Rock Shrine. Um, if you'll notice the blue uh, band on the top of that uh, mosaic uh, tile side, there's Arabic writing. Uh, it's very uh, busy Arabic writing. But basically that says, God has no begotten, nor does he beget. And it says that all the way around that blue stripe of the Golden Dome of the Rock Shrine, which is basically saying God does not have a son. And that's what the Muslims believe. And they're basically denying Christianity uh, on that uh, building um, about Jesus. But, but all this, um, you know, people are arguing about who does Jerusalem really belong to? Well, the answer is God. Jerusalem belongs to God. Um, and God doesn't claim other cities. He doesn't claim Dundee or Portland or Ashland or uh, New York or, or Paris. He says, Jerusalem is mine. Let me just give you a few scriptures for you to jot down, maybe in your notes. Um, oops, did I pass? Oh, oh, no, I gotta, I gotta finish my pictures. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is the uh, Valley of the Kidron as you go down and then up to the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is sort of uh, surrounded by that uh, wall. And that wall, by the way, there's Ottoman Turk era wall from 500 years ago. It's very brand new uh, in Israeli terms, um, but it still looks very ancient, but it is only 500 years old. Um, but there are walls like the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall goes down to Herod's time, you know, Jesus's day, all the way down to Solomon era stones on the wall. So Jerusalem's interesting archeologically, but doesn't have a lot really, uh, you know, that you, you could um, say is awesome. But, but why is it so important? Well, it says it in Psalm 132, 13. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, that's, that's another name for Jerusalem, particularly Mount Zion, the Temple Mount. The Lord has chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. God says, I'm gonna live there. Um, that's kind of a big deal if you believe the Bible, that God says that Jerusalem's where I'm gonna live. Um, Joel chapter three, verse 17, we read this when we were in the book of Joel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. There's coming a day where God is gonna uh, send his son Jesus who came the first coming, died on the cross. The second coming, he's coming to rule and reign and Jesus is gonna make his throne there on Mount Zion, Temple Mount in Jerusalem and he's gonna call it his own. So who cares what the world says, that's what's gonna happen. Uh, just, so, just in case you're wondering, that's what will happen. Um, not only that, but 2 Chronicles seven sixteen. for now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that is the temple on Jerusalem, that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Um, the heart of God 
is there at the Temple Mount where the temple used to sit. Now, what's interesting um, about this, this where it says, you know, that my name shall be there forever. That's basically when God says, this is mine. Remember when you were a little kid and uh, you didn't want anybody to wonder, whose toy is this? So you wrote your name on it in big, bold letters. So nobody else would take your toy. Well, in a sense, God says, I'm writing my name on Jerusalem. Uh, And he did, and it's his. So the Lord assigns his name on Jerusalem. Jerusalem belongs to God. Uh, That's what the Bible says very clearly. I just gave you three verses, there's more. But that's the reason, by the way, and it's, you know, people say, what's the reason there's uh, turmoil in Jerusalem? And people say, well, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Well, that's the, that's the veneer. Uh, and that's really only recent. The, the Arab-Israeli conflict, is, as it stands right now with the Palestinian conflict and stuff, that's only been going on like that for a while. But all throughout the centuries, Jerusalem has been a place of turmoil and warfare. Why is Jerusalem such a big deal? Who cares? Why does the world care about Jerusalem? It's, it's not because the Jews are their occupiers. It's not because the Arab-Israeli conflict. I believe the reason Jerusalem's always been a source of conflict is because God says, that's my city. That's the only thing you can, when you go to Jerusalem, it's an amazing thing. You can almost cut the tension with the knife. You can feel it. There's conflict and there's a spiritual warfare in that place. And it's an amazing city just for that reason alone. You get a sense that there is something unique about Jerusalem. It's hard to put your finger on it, but the Bible tells us what it is. It's God's city. Now, the history of Jerusalem is what people need to know because you know, if, you, if you watch Wolf Blitzer on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or even Discover Channel or History Channel, you'll get all kinds of things. But basically, the narrative out there is, the Jews came you know, and occupied Jerusalem and they took over Jerusalem hostily and all of Israel and they don't have any really right to be in the land um, and all this stuff. But you gotta understand the real history because people are forgetting what actually really happened. And it's very easy if, if you just kind of do a little bit of homework, it's not hard at all. So let's talk about it. So um, the story really begins in 1000 BC. Um, you could go back further, um, you know, uh, but, who was there on the Temple Mount first? Uh, actually, Abraham. Do you remember in the story of Genesis, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, if you remember, uh, on an altar. That was on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is another name for Mount Zion. Do you know that? It's the same place. Um, but Jerusalem wasn't there when Abraham climbed up there and was you know, gonna do the sacrifice. And then God said, you know, stop Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac. God will provide himself a uh, sacrifice, you know, for, for that uh, story. But Abraham was there first and the land that he was standing on was given to him by the Lord. So Abraham gets the land. Now that doesn't solve the Arab-Israeli conflict because Abraham is the father of the Jews, but he's also the father of the Muslims and the Arabs. Do you know that, right? Ishmael was the Arab line. Isaac was the uh, Jewish line. And so the debate, you know, from there goes, well, who was really the chosen line, Isaac or Ishmael? And um, if you read uh, the Quran and are a Muslim, you believe it was Ishmael. Uh, if you believe the Bible and uh, God's word uh, given to the Jews, you believe it was Isaac. Well, Brett, how do we know which one? Easy peasy, read the Quran, it reads like a kindergarten book that's really embarrassing. And nothing in the, that book is prophetic or accurate or right. And you read the Bible, and it's full of Bible prophecies that have come to pass over and over by the thousands. Uh, the Bible is the living word of God and it's provable. And I, I'm embarrassed. I, I mean, I've read the Quran several times and I'm embarrassed really uh, uh, for the Muslim because it's, it's, it's a sad uh, book. It's not even, I mean, and even if you uh, look at the difference between the true and living God, Jehovah, the God of the Jews and of the Christians, um, he's, he's a gracious, merciful God. If you look at the God of uh, the Muslim, well, Islam means submission and you better submit or else. And, uh, it, but I digress. It, um, the Bible has proven itself uh, and we, we've gone over that in other teachings. So I'm not gonna take time with that. So it does start with Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael, but um, through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Jacob and then Israel. But if you remember, um, the children of Israel made their way into the promised land after being enslaved for 450 years. Joshua leads them into the promised land and subdues you know, all the Canaanites. Uh, there was lots of Canaanites there uh, that, were, that were Canaanites, Jebusites, Hivites, uh, flashlights, megabytes. There was all kinds of uh, groups of people in the land of Canaan. 
<clears throat> and um, Joshua subdued many of them, but not all of them. One of the last, <coughs> excuse me, one of the last groups that lasted there was a group called the Jebusites. And they lived in a city called Jebus. Uh, interesting, uh, there, uh, David takes Jebus, the city. We read about that in 1 Chronicles 11, uh, verses four through nine, where David says, you know, whoever takes the Jebusite city, Jebus, will be my chief and my captain. So a guy named Joab, if you remember the story there in 1 Chronicles 11, Joab gets all the Navy SEAL Team 6 type of dudes that are on their army, and, and he sneaks into the water shaft there in the city of David is what it would be called. The city of Jebus becomes the city of David. Now this is a, a picture of, of uh, or you know, video here that we shot of the, uh, the, this area of Jerusalem. But as you, the, the modern section there where the golden dome is, that, that was after David. This little red circle, that's where Jerusalem was when David took it. It's called the city of David uh, after it was called Jebus, where the Jebusites lived. Joab did something interesting. How did he take the city? Well, he snuck in with those Navy SEAL team guys and he shimmied up the, either it was the sewer shaft or the, or the fresh water shaft. There's debate on which one it was, but either way, um, and, and our, our Athey Creekers, we're all going down into this, uh, this area underneath because it's an archeological, you know, 3000 years ago. Um, you go way down into the ground and you find these walls of the city and you can see the walls that David saw with his eyes. They're just kind of, but this is the shaft um, Joab climbed up. Uh, and shimmied up that shaft and took the city of Jebusite, the Jebusite city. By the way, if you keep walking through here, this is where we all walk down and most tour groups stop here, but our group, we climb into this tiny little tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel and we hike through. And that, that water source through this tunnel, you can see the chisel marks right there of the Hezekiah's men from the Bible who chiseled this tunnel during the time of Rabshakeh the Assyrian. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. And, and it's, it's a little tight squeeze. In fact, they pay me to go through because I kind of clean off the walls for them. But anyway, um, it's, it's a little bit of a tight squeeze, but, uh, but it, it's, it's a fun thing to go uh, and do. And then you come out near the Pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem. It's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing thing to see. You gotta see it if you're in Jerusalem. But, um, but that's where jo Joab climbs into this shaft and he takes over the city of Jebusite, the Jebusite city of Jebus. Um, and that, that happened in 1000 BC. Uh, he takes the city. Uh, by the way, the name Jebus, interestingly enough, means trodden down or trampled place, trampled place. Interesting, that's what Jerusalem really, they should have almost kept the name trampled place for a long time, because that's what it's been to this very day. It's a trampled place by all the nations that have come and gone through the centuries. You say, well, bread is called the city of peace. Yerushalem, the city of peace, come on. Well, it's going to be that when Christ comes and rules and reigns in Jerusalem, that's when it's gonna be the city of peace. You and I, the psalmist told us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for they shall prosper that love thee. And that, that's praying for Christ to come and rule and reign in Jerusalem. So 1000 BC, David takes Jerusalem. Then um, the next thing we see on the list that you guys remember is what happens in 586 BC, Jerusalem is crushed. And there's other things that happen. I'm just giving you the high points. Babylonians crushed Jerusalem in 586. Um, and, um, but then you remember there was like seven years of captivity. And if you measure not from the first taking of, there were three waves when the Babylonians took. 586 was the last wave. But before that, there were a couple other waves, like when Daniel was taken quite a bit earlier. But you got the 70 years of captivity starting back then. But it was 516 when the Jews were given, you know, the chance to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. But they finished the, the rebuilding of the temple, uh, Zechariah's assignment, by the way. Um, they re refinished rebuilding the temple uh, in 515 BC. And the Jews took Jerusalem again at that point. It had sat in ruin really for 70 years. But then after that, uh, the next thing kind of, there's a bunch of events that happened. Uh, we'll go quickly, you know, like uh, 330 BC, Alexander the Great rides Bucephalus into Jerusalem. He doesn't crush Jerusalem because the priest of Jerusalem comes out and meets Alexander and shows Alexander where he was in the book of Daniel. That the book of Daniel, prophet of Daniel foretold a great king who would have conquered the world, who will, um, will uh, be at Jerusalem and, and take over that whole Middle Eastern region. And Alexander was so moved, he said, I'm not gonna cut, crush Jerusalem. But he rode into Jerusalem uh, and, and took control. After Alexander, the next big group that is notable, and this is a big date, is 63 BC, where the Romans control uh, Jerusalem. They take over Jerusalem officially. Um, by the way, interesting uh, trivial point, 
how long did the Romans um, take control uh, if you, if you, of that region of, of, of Jerusalem? If you include the Byzantine Empire, the Romans had Jerusalem for 666 years. That's just an interesting tidbit of information. Um, but uh, of course, big dates that you, you and I already know. Uh, the Romans are controlling Jerusalem when Jesus comes on the scene. Um, and when Jesus uh, dies on the cross, the Romans are large and in charge during that time. Um, and, and then if you recall, Jesus, uh, what happened? Jesus predicted something that would happen in 70 AD. Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be torn down. More importantly, the temple mount, the temple would be destroyed. Jesus told about that. He didn't give the date, but in Matthew chapter 24, you guys have, we've covered this before, but you know, the disciples come and want to show them the new temple that Herod just remodeled. Um, and, but the main thing there is at the end, Jesus said this, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Um, and you've heard me tell the story of the Roman arrow fl flying through the temple doors and catching the tapestries in the temple on fire. And the temple was like a furnace and all the gold that was left in the temple melted and fell into the cracks of the rocks. So what happened there? Well, Titus Flavius Longinus Quintus Marcus Turbo that was his actually full name, I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, we call him Titus Lon Longinus maybe, uh, it's easier. But uh, he said, when they conquered Jerusalem and killed a bunch of Jews, <clears throat> excuse me, then he said, um, all the soldiers, he commanded them to tear the temple apart stone by stone <clears throat> and to throw the stones over the Western wall. And the reason they did that is they wanted to get all the gold that had melted into the cracks because there were, you know, that day billions of dollars worth of gold. And so they did that. And this is a picture from my iPhone right here. I took this picture a few years ago. Um, these are the, this is the stone uh, walkway that Jesus would have walked on back in the first century. Um, but those big boulders laying around there, those are the stones of the temple laying where they, they sat after the Romans threw those stones of the temple over, over the Western wall. They still sit there as, now they have to dig this all up archeologically, uh, but they found the very stones in the very place where the Romans uh, dumped them over. Uh, that's a, that was a sad day in Jerusalem history. Um, 116 dead bodies of Jews were thrown over this very wall. Um, 116,000 dead bodies of Jews thrown over the walls uh, in one day uh, by the Romans in that day. Uh, 97,000 Jews were taken to Rome to be slaves. And when the whole Roman thing in AD 70, the conquest of Jerusalem happened, 1.1 million uh, Jews died in that conflict. Okay, so that was a big deal. AD 70, biblically is important, but historically you need to know that that's what happened as well. Well then the Jews were at that point, not really welcome any longer in Jerusalem for the most part. Uh, and Jerusalem was in destruction. The Romans just crushed everybody. Well, a key date that you should know the Emperor Hadrian, when the Roman Emperor Hadrian came on the scene in AD 117, um, he hated the Jews and he, he wanted to, he was kind of a Hitler sort of character as well. He hated the Jews, wanted to exterminate them and say they no longer should be seen. And so he made some strange laws. He made laws like if you see two Jews talking in Jerusalem, you had the legal right to kill them on the spot. If you saw two Jews talking one to another, you could kill them. Uh, Hadrian salted the farmland of all the Jewish farmers <clears throat> so that they couldn't grow crops on their, on their uh, it'd be like putting Roundup all over the, the ground of the farmer's land. That's what Hadrian did. Um, and um, not only that, to sort of erase the uh, memory of the Jews, he renamed a couple things. He renamed Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina. Uh, which was the, the name, because basically he outlawed worshiping God in Jerusalem and you had to be uh, worshiping Jupiter of all things uh, there. That's what uh, Emperor Hadrian did. So Jerusalem becomes Adria Capitolina. And then he renamed Israel. He didn't want any name of Israel around. So he called it Palestina. Uh, now, where did he get that name? You say, well, there were the Philistines, the Philistines, um, Aelia Capitolina and Palestina. Now, Palestina was an, a name of a people group that were extinct called the Philistines. That's where that, that name came from. By the time, you know, um, you know, Hadrian was on the scene, the Philistines had long been uh, extinct. Uh, remember the ancient enemies of the Jews back in David's time, you know, back in 1000 BC? Um, well, the, the, the Philistines were, were gone. 
Well, Brett, the Philistines are the, they are the Arabs of Israel today. Well, that's just a bunch of lies. Uh, anybody who knows anything about history knows the Philistines were not Arabs. They came from the Greek islands area. They were actually from Cyprus uh, and Crete. And they, they were Phoenicians that came down uh, through shipping down to what is today the Gaza Strip. And that's where the Philistines settled <clears throat> in the five Philistine cities, you know, the Gath was kind of their capital, along with Ekron, Ashkelon, Ekron, all these other places that were Philistine cities. But after, you know, David and uh, some of the kings of David came, eventually they finally conquered the Philistines and they were either assimilated into other people groups or basically extinct. But Hadrian knew that that would be a, a sort of an a, a insult uh, to the Jews to call Israel Palestine. To this day, if you see a map and Israel's called Palestine, whoever made that map probably is a hater of Jews and a, and a hater of Israel, uh, if they're calling it Palestine today, because um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's no longer called Palestine. Uh, it's called Israel. I'll tell you when that happened in a second. But, um, but all that to say, that, that, like uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, last time I flew United International, um, their in-flight magazine, I was shocked to see the, the world map called Israel-Palestine. So whoever put that map together, the United Flight you know, magazine, I was like, oh, brother, uh, they still call it Palestine. That's, that's an insult. Um, and it is very insulting to the Jews. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, when this happened, when, when Hadrian did this, the Jews scattered, and this is what really sparked what we know and call as the diaspora, the Jewish scattering of Jews all over the world. <clears throat> Jerusalem was no longer a safe place for Jews, and so the Jews didn't live there. And they scattered to uh, everywhere from Iran, Iraq, uh, Europe, uh, eventually New York City and other places, but the Jews scattered and they were not in Jerusalem, the Jewish diaspora. Diaspora just means scattered population whose origin lies in a separate geographic locale. Uh, that's kind of the diaspora definition. But, <clears throat> but that's exactly what the Bible would say that would happen to the Jews. If you remember reading Deuteronomy and other passages where the Lord said, if you don't obey my commandments and judgments and statutes, then I will scatter you among the nations, the Lord said. Um, and that's the bad news. But after a long, long time, 2000 years, um, the Lord says, I will regather my people and bring life back to Israel into the land and into Jerusalem. And um, <clears throat> a lot of people have blown that prophecy off. You shouldn't. You and I are living in a day, and some of you are old enough in this room that you actually saw some major prophecy, Bible prophecy milestones happen. And it's an exciting time to be alive, honestly. <clears throat> because we are living in the days where God is regathering his people, the Jews, into the Holy Land. But I get ahead of myself. During the Jewish diaspora, what was going on in Jerusalem while the Jews were scattered? Well, this is where I call Jerusalem the speed, the speed bump. <clears throat> nation after nation came trouncing through Jerusalem. And uh, you got the Byzantines, the Moslems came through. After that, the Crusaders, the Mamelukes of Egypt, and then the Ottoman Turks, and then the British. And the British took uh, Jerusalem and uh, the Jerusalem was under the British mandate, if you know that about history. But, <clears throat> but during this time, while the, Jew, the Jewish city of Jerusalem um, was trounced by all these different nations and the Jews scattered, anti-Semitism uh, around the world just started to go crazy, especially in the late 1800s. Um, <clears throat> in the late 1800s, um, there was some events that you should know about, and I'll try to do this quickly, but have it, has any of you ever heard about the Dreyfus Affair? This was an interesting thing that happened in France. There was a, a guy named Alfred Dreyfus, um, and he was a guy who was the French artillery officer of Jewish ancestry. And most of the French and the people in Europe really hated the Jews. <clears throat> but this guy was like a, a model uh, officer in the French army. Somebody falsely accused him, because he was a Jew, <clears throat> of selling secrets to the Germans, because that's what Jews often did. Not really, I'm just being ridiculous. Um, but the people were accusing him. This guy was a German spy, he was a Jew, you know, and so they, they accused him. Now, what's interesting about this is he was, um, uh, he, he was found to be innocent, but that didn't matter. 
When he was in prison for 10 years while he was being accused, it took him 10 years to figure out. And they actually said, we're gonna, we're gonna pardon you. And so they let him out. But he said, I will not go out and be pardoned. I'm gonna be exonerated. I did nothing and I should be exonerated. And so eventually they did exonerate this guy, Alfred Dreyfus, and he, he, he lived to be an old man. You say, well, big deal, whatever. Well, during the time of his imprisonment, that's where the French started yelling in the streets by the thousands, people in, in the cities of uh, you know, Paris yelling, death to the Jews, death to the Jews. And it was because of this, it was almost like, um, it, was, you know, it was basically fake news and rage that uh, followed after. I can't imagine that happened at any other time in history, um, but that's what happened here. Uh, there was fake news about this guy, Alfred Dreyfus, and so people were saying, death to the Jews. Meanwhile, there was a guy watching this, a young man by the name of Theodor Herzl, uh, Austro-Hungarian Jewish journalist, <clears throat> playwright, political activist, um, and a writer who was a, who, who's, who's known as the father of modern political Zionism. Uh, he saw, and this is what he said. He, he said, the Jew will never be safe without a place of their own, a, a homeland. The Jews around the world are in real peril because he saw the handwriting on the wall about hatred for, and anti-Semitism for the Jews. And so it was Theodor Herzl that started to get a, a massive migration back to Israel. Um, and the Jews started going back in the late 1800s. Now you say, well, did they go with weapons and take over and kill Arabs for the land? No. These wealthy Jews from Europe went and bought dumpy land in Israel. Israel was a dump back in those days. In the late 1800s, um, and I, I remind some of you guys that were here Wednesday night, I apologize for being redundant, but I, I love bringing up Mark Twain because he was there for over a year and, and in the late 1800s, and he wrote, about what Israel looked like. And it doesn't look like it, did, it does today. When he was there, he said stuff like, the further we went, the hotter the sun got, and the more rocky and bare, repulsive and dreary the landscape became. Uh, listen to this, he said, of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. Of course, it was called Palestine back then. Um, he wrote about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a solemn, sailless, tintless lake, as unpoetical as any bathtub on earth. Like the reason he was saying this is Israel was a dry, barren desert. The Jews said, we need a homeland. So they moved to this, there was only just a small amount of Bedouins and um, sheep you know, keepers. And uh, I mean, Israel was barren. And he, even Twain writes how you could travel 10 miles and not see one person. It was just this empty, barren wasteland. So the Jews came and purchased with their money that they'd earned in Europe and bought much of the land of Israel. They bought it with their own money. Um, this, is, this is the first thing you should remember. Jews, most of the land they have, they bought with their own money. How many of you can say that? Well, I bought money with my money. No, I'm talking about from the Indians. When, when the Indians were here in Oregon, did we pay them for that? Because the people that say the Jews are occupiers there in the land of Israel and they took over the land, not so. They're the only people group in the world that can say, well, we actually purchased the land that we're on. Everybody else on the planet has to say, we conquered a people somewhere in, in our past history. The hypocrisy is astounding, by the way. But um, they not only bought their land, we also know from the Bible, God gave them that land. But thirdly, um, not only did God give them the land, but guess what? The, the world gave them that land. I'll tell you about that in a second. But back to Theodore Herzl, who's saying, we gotta go to our own land. He said this at the Conference of Basel, uh, which is interesting in Switzerland, Congress of Basel. He came up with a plan for the state of Israel. This was his idea to sort of open up Israel again as its own uh, nation or state. Um, Theodore Herzl was known as saying, at Basel, I founded a, the Jewish state. If I said this out loud today, I would be greeted by universal laughter. In five years, perhaps, and then certainly in 50 years, everyone will perceive it. And he was right. He was making the case, we need a state, we need to become a nation of Israel. And people did laugh at him. Oh, that's ridiculous. Israel will never have a state again. But after 50 years, they were right on the cusp of becoming a nation again. And people credit this single guy, Theodore Herzl, as the guy who came up with the idea to, to make Israel a nation again. Arabs were thrilled to sell the land because it was worthless. But the problem, the Jews, over a very short amount of time, the Jews that had migrated back and bought the land, they farmed it 
And they started coming up with very uh, high tech for those days, high tech drip irrigation systems and ways to use water very conservatively. And, and, um, and they brought the land back to life. When I take groups to Israel today, Israel is no longer like what Mark Twain said. It's, it's, it's this fruitful, beautiful, lush, uh, fruit producing nation. It's one of the top fruit and vegetable producers for all of Europe. Um, that all comes from that little sliver of land called Israel today. Um, it's an amazing story, and I'm just giving you the high, tines, uh, high points, but um, they made the land useful. And then there's other big characters that you know, came along like Eliezer ben Yehuda. He brought the language of Hebrew back. Um, if you remember, the Bible even foretold that Hebrew would be lost, but then Zephaniah talks about how for then I will turn the people to a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Hebrew was lost. It became sort of an um, um, academic language, sort of like Latin, uh, where people don't really speak it. It was just an academic language. But now everybody in Israel and Jerusalem talks in the Hebrew language, just fulfilling what Zephaniah says. So basically you got, you know, the early 1900s, um, you know, the Jewish state of Palestine was something that they wanted to work toward. Well, Brett, there were Palestinians there and they had no right to, who was a Palestinian um, back in 1920s or the 1930s? Um, if you believe the narrative, it's a bunch of you know, Arabs that had a right to the land at the front. That's not really the truth. If you go back to just recent history, I've got a, I've got a newspaper somewhere, I gotta find it. It's in a box after we moved, I lost it somewhere. It's still in my garage probably, but it's called the Palestinian Times from 1927. It was a Palestinian newspaper edited by Jews, written by Jews. It was a Jewish publication called the Palestinian Times. Um, the, 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 this, this stuff's all over the place. Like this 1936, the Palestinian uh, Symphony Orchestra, 73 musicians were all Jews. Um, and that, that, anybody who lived in Palestine was called a Palestinian. So when did a Palestinian that we know today, when did they become a Palestinian? Well, it was this guy, Yasser Arafat, who was a murderous, um, violent, terrorist. Brett, how can you say that? Well, did you, guys, did you see the, the uh, movie Munich? I probably shouldn't have. I think there was some bad parts in it, but it was the story of, remember the Israeli athletes who were killed at the Olympics? This is the guy that masterminded that. And this guy was a terrorist, uh, Yasser Arafat. He was the leader of the PLO. He's another guy who has a nice long name, uh, Mohammed Abdel Raham Abdel Raouf Al-Quda Al-Husseini. That's his full name, uh, but we call him Yasser Arafat. Um, but he started to give a whole new meaning to the word Palestinian. He uh, was the chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, where he um, uh, was saying these poor Palestinians, are, this, they are the ones who have the right to this land. Now, who were those Arabs that he was calling Palestinians? They were Jordanians. They were Jordanians that came into Israel. Why did they come there? Uh, boy, there's a long story there, but it has to do with fleeing wars, fleeing trouble and poverty. And some of the Palestinians, the, the Jordanians, Arabs came to Israel and the Israelis said, come on in and you can stay here. Um, and th there was kind of an interesting thing that happened there. I've met Palestinians in Jordan and I've met Palestinians in Israel and talked to them. And it's an amazing thing. You, you kind of get a sense that a lot of Palestinians in Israel um, a lot of them, not all of them. There are the, the, the people that are more activist, jihadist kind of Muslims, but there's a lot of Palestinians that just wanna be Israelis. They like living in Israel. Um, and, um, and then if you talk to the Palestinians that live in Jordan, I've been in some of the refugee camps in Jordan and Jordan's where they're really from. They're treated far worse in Jordan than they are in Israel. And there's cardboard box cities I've been to where people live in boxes. Uh, that are Palestinians in their own land treated worse than the Palestinians um, in Israel. And, and I'm, I, I gotta tell you, don't think of the Palestinian people as a bad people today. Um, I think there are bad actors on both sides, honestly, but, um, but the Palestinians are not a bad people. They're kind of the pawns being used by the Islamic narrative, guys like this, Yasser Arafat, who uh, uh, basically was saying a Palestinian is um, an Arab who's been treated horribly and misplaced uh, and, and is being kicked out by those horrible Jews. That's the new narrative. That's not actually what happened. What actually happened is, you know, the Jews were migrating, buying the land from, you know, um, Bedouins and what have you. But after um, World War II, 
Um, something radical happened. Remember the Holocaust, a little thing called the Holocaust? Hitler tried to wipe out an entire people group uh, called the Jews. Six million Jews killed in uh, Nazi concentration camps. And, you know, of course, today there's Holocaust deniers saying that that never even happened. Oh, if you don't believe it happened, you better go to Yad Vashem Museum in Jerusalem or the uh, um, Jewish Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, outstanding. You, you got to see that. It's undeniable what happened. Um, but the, um, the world's nations, by one vote, decided to give the Jews their own nation after the Holocaust, after World War II. The Jews had already been migrating to Israel and, Jer and Jerusalem. But, um, but basically, there's something before that happens though you should know about. Back before the Jews were uh, granted the nation by the world, um, the, the UN General Assembly partitions Palestine uh, in November of 1947. And this is kind of a big deal, even though it doesn't go on the radar much, but this is when the UN General Assembly said, we need to kind of divide up Jerusalem to be fair, some for the Jews, some for the the, the Arabs. And so they basically drew a line and it's a really strange line. It'd be like if you and I divided this area and said half of uh, the, let, let's say we divide the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, it's already divided. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you say it's divided. Well, well, what's the dividing line? Well, all the Democrats have to live on one side of Boone's Ferry Road and all the Republicans have to live on the other side of the Boone's Ferry Road. You say, Brett, that's crazy. Boone's Ferry Road squirrels all around. It goes from Wilsonville and up and down and then through Lake Oswego and it goes, it's a weird, exactly. That's what they did to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's got the squiggly line of the West Bank right down the middle of Jerusalem and splits Jerusalem in half and the United Nothing General Assembly, I mean the UN, uh, partitions Palestine and divides it, Jews and Palestinians, and did it without any real knowledge or thought of anything, uh, as it turns out. But as it turns out, the Jews didn't get the Temple Mount, they didn't get, you know, they, they only got a certain section of, of, uh, of Jerusalem in that partition, that's important. But then, after the Holocaust and all that, May 14th, 1948, um, the, the world feels guilty, um, but Israel becomes a nation. And so not only did they buy the land, God gave them the land, but the world in embarrassment, we said we should have rescued the Jews from the Holocaust. They said, okay, you do have a land that you can call your own. So the, um, the League of Nations or the United Nations, I'd say, basically uh, grants Israel uh, a state and Israel becomes a nation, just like you know Theodore Herzl envisioned uh, where everybody was laughing at him before. The next day, there's another day on the timeline, May 14th, 1940, they become a nation. May 15th, 1948, you have the Arab-Israeli war. Seven Arab nations attack Israel. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Yemen. They all attack Israel. Um, and these nations are already, you know, for the day, fairly high-tech weaponry and stuff. The Jews are a brand new one-day-old nation. They've got pitchforks and pickup trucks, literally uh, outgunned, outmanned, but, uh, boy, I wish I could talk more about this one, but biblically proportioned victory, the Jews defend themselves from these seven fairly modern day uh, powerful nations. The war of independence uh, is worth studying. Uh, it's an amazing thing. But basically, um, you know, uh, Israel causes the Muslims, the reason why the Muslims attack is in their Quran and Hadith one of the things, if a Muslim land belongs to Islam, it needs to always belong to Islam. And they have a vow to say from that point on and forevermore, the Muslim has um, the duty to conquer those people and get their Islamic land back. So they were making claim that that was Islamic land. So the Jews don't have a right to exist there. And that's been the narrative ever since. The Arabs have never acknowledged Israel as a state, even though the rest of the world did. Um, the rest of uh, the Arab world says, no, they called Israel the dagger that splits the Muslim world. Um, all the green nations here are the Muslim nations um, and that little blue tiny sliver in the middle, it looks like a, a, a dagger. They call that the dagger that divides uh, the Arab nations. And so um, all that to say, that's the way they look at it. Notice how much land the Arabs have in this particular map. 
versus the amount of land the Jews have. You will never see this on CNN or MSNBC, how the Jews, they, they put those big Jews crushing the poor little Arab nations. And you know, it's not, that's not really the right narrative, by the way. Um, I'll show you something else on that in a second. But then you got uh, the Suez crisis in 1956 that happened, and I'm kind of running out of time. Uh, I'm running, uh, but basically Arab nations come to attack Israel again during the Suez crisis. And then you have the Six Day War. This is a key turning point uh, for Israel, but specifically Jerusalem. It was in 1967, this amazing uh, war um, that the Bible actually predicted. If you read Ezekiel chapter four, we did a study on how the Jews could have known that this very day in history, June 7th, 1967, uh, was important, not to, just because it was my first birthday, um, but, but it was actually uh, a key swing uh, for Jerusalem. And this is where the Jews, um, uh, you know, basically the Arab nations were poised to attack Israel. Kind of like, remember when Russia started surrounding Ukraine with their military and the world was like, ooh, Russia's gonna attack. And be like, nah, it's just a military operation. And nah, well, uh, the Ukrainians and the Americans and everybody thought, well, they're just putting troops on the border. They're not really attacking. And then Russia attacked. Well, that's what was happening to Israel. The Arab nations were surrounding Israel and stacking up weapons, but the Israelis, instead of just sitting there, they preemptively attacked in the Six Day War. And during that attack, this is the footage of them taking over Jerusalem. Uh, not only the, the half that was theirs, but they were taking over the Jordanian side uh, as well, including the Temple Mount, which was a big deal. For the first time in many, many centuries, now suddenly the Jews, uh, they're going through the Zion Gate here, um, they, they, the Jews take back the Temple Mount and all of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and if you recall, this guy, Moshe Dayan, he walks in like John Wayne, uh, and, he, and he, uh, he walks in as a Jew saying, we, this is our city now. Um, but did a, a crazy thing, and nobody understands why. Moshe Dayan, the guy with the patch in the middle, he ends up giving the Temple Mount as a land for peace gesture saying, Temple Mount, we'll give it back to you guys, you Muslims. Um, the reason why is Moshe Dayan wasn't really a um, uh, Orthodox Jew or, uh, or he, you know, he didn't really believe in the spiritual part of Israel. Um, he could care less about the Temple Mount. He, he knew it was the third most holy site in all of Islam. So he says, here, how, you can have your holy site back. Um, but during this time period, Israel gains a large area of land. Before the Six Day War, they just had the blue area, the dark blue, dark blue. But in the six days, you see the way they took land. They took the West Bank, the Golan Heights. They took the, the, um, the whole, the whole uh, Sinai Peninsula there. That, that was all, it was a huge uh, mass of land that Israel gains. Long story short, Israel gave back the whole Sinai Peninsula as a land for peace thing, uh, just trying to make peace with the uh, Egyptians. Um, land for peace has proven to never work for the Jews, by the way. So the Israelis gave back the, 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 the Sinai Peninsula and, and, uh, and the West Bank and the Golan Heights remained, uh, and the Gaza Strip remained sort of a contentious debate. And the Jews stayed there and the world called them occupiers in the West Bank and the Golan Heights up there in the north. Um, and um, and the, the world has been bitter ever since. You Jews are occupiers occupying a land that's not yours. It is theirs. God gave it to them, they paid for it, and the world gave it to them. Uh, and they even defended it when they were attacked by Arab peoples over and over and over again. Uh, and again, how much land is that of, of all the Middle East and the Arab lands? If you look at a football field within the white lines there, if that's all the Arab nations, Israel would be one square foot of land uh, of all that if you, if you spread out uh, and do the math on this. Um, it's not like Israel's asking for a lot. They're just asking for a place they can live in the world and survive without people killing them or exterminating them. Um, all that to say, um, uh, you know, the timeline goes after the Six Day War, then you got the Yom Kippur War, which was an amazing uh, story I don't have time to go into. Basically, uh, the Arabs attacked again in 1973 on Yom Kippur, the most holy day of Israel, Day of Atonement. And uh, the Jews were caught unaware that, you know, um, the reason it was brilliant for the Muslims to attack the Jews on this day is they turned off all radios, all television. That was the rule of the Jews. So they were in the dark and they didn't even know they were being attacked. 
Um, the, the way that the Jews found out they were being attacked is the uh, Israeli Air Force started flying their um, you know, jets over the cities uh, and breaking the sound barrier over the cities so that there'd be a big sonic boom. And, and it was so boomy that there's even a video of, of windows breaking out of people's houses because of the sonic booms. And the people are like, what's going on? And they turned on their TVs when they heard that and realized, oh, we're at war. And so they all grabbed their rifles and went and checked in for duty. Um, but one of the amazing stories, 5,000 Assyrian tanks, one of the biggest tank battles in world's history happened on this war where the 5,000 tanks were coming over the Golan Heights. The Israelis had one tank up there, one. And there's this amazing biblically proportioned story. The tank commander's call sign was Ziggy of all things. But Ziggy, uh, this tank commander, he did this thing. And this is a legendary thing. He, he, uh, the, the Assyrian tanks were coming up and Ziggy popped over a hill and fired and then he'd go back down. Then he'd move over here and then pop over the hill, fire, come back down, and then move way over here, pop over. And he did this for hours. And um, the, the Syrian tank commanders all stopped and said, those sneaky Israelis, they've got a whole platoon of tanks back there. And they stopped their forward attack for quite a long time. Uh, eventually, uh, uh, Ziggy's tank was um, you know, hit and decommissioned. Uh, and, uh, and so the Assyrians started to carefully move forward. And then they, when they got over the hill, they realized it was only one tank, a little embarrassing. But even more embarrassingly still, the, the, the Syrians said, we can get to the Sea of Galilee in four days of battle. We're convinced of that. But they were making it in one day. They were blowing through because not only was there only one tank, how many soldiers were on duty on, on Yom Kippur when they were attacked? 168 soldiers were on duty that day on the Golan Heights. And 5,000 tanks were coming over the hill. Like this was a brutal, the, the Syrians could have just rolled right in and taken over, gone through the Sea of Galilee, down the Via, uh, Via Morris, all the way down to Tel Aviv and just taken over Israel. They really could have. But they also, after the tank thing, those sneaky Jews, they're up to something. They're leading us into an ambush. That's why everything seems so easy. And so they stopped their attack and it gave the Jews a chance to get everybody together and regroup. And the next day uh, in the Yom Kippur War, the Jews started turning the tide and the Syrians were eventually defeated. Um, Egypt was defeated in that attack by a guy named Ariel Sharon. He was, maybe you remember him as the prime minister of Israel. Before he was a prime minister, he was this kind of, um, you know, uh, John Wayne sort of character. Uh, he disobeyed orders uh, when he was down in, in the, um, the Sinai Peninsula, the Egyptians were attacking, but instead of focusing on the Egyptian army, he did something that was uh, against orders. He went around the Egyptian army, unbeknownst to the Egyptians, and marched his army down to Cairo and made it 100 kilometers just outside of Cairo, and he surrounded the third Egyptian, the Egyptian third army, which was the army that protects Cairo. He surrounded the army that protects Cairo, just outside of Cairo, and basically he got a stranglehold on them and said, okay, any questions? And it was at that moment, the whole Egyptian army had to retreat and go back. Um, the, some people wanted to charge Ariel Sharon with you know, disobeying orders, but the Israeli command had to say, his plan worked so well, he's, he's a war hero. Because uh, it, it really did stop the Egyptians. Like all of these battles, biblically proportioned, because God intervenes for Israel. He always, always has. Now there's coming a time in the future. Let's, let's fast forward. I'm just giving, I gotta fast forward here because I'm running out of time. Um, today, what's going on in Israel? Well, more and more nations hate Israel. More and more nations say Israel doesn't have a right to exist. And Israel's really had only one good friend and that is the United States of America, especially in the previous administration. The Jews said that Donald Trump was their friendliest president they've ever had. And they named streets after him and stuff because he's the one who said Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel, which it always has been. But nobody in the world acknowledged that until Donald Trump and the United States said, we acknowledge Jerusalem as Israel's capital city. And um, it was kind of amazing because everybody thought it was gonna cause World War III but actually nothing happened except we just blessed Israel by calling Jerusalem their capital city. We were a blessing to them. Um, what does the Bible say? The nation that blesses Israel will what? Be blessed. And the nation that curses Israel will what? Be cursed. Genesis 12 tells us that. And we were experiencing blessing. Isn't it funny how just over a year ago, we were kind of blessed economically, and a lot of other things we were really blessed by. And in a year and a half, what, what's happened in the United States? Well, some people say, well, does it feel like there's been a little bit of a curse? Um, well, guess what? 
This is, this is where it starts hitting close to home this, this morning. And you, you and I as Christians, what are we told to do? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we really need to be praying because one of the most hostile people toward Israel proven over time is headed to Jerusalem. Who is that? And I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just calling this as it's true in history. I'm, I'm gonna say one of the worst things that's ever happened to the Jews from America is, is President Biden. Huh, what? I don't like this church, I'm leaving. Listen, just for a second. We should be concerned because if you're a Bible believer, the nation that curses Israel, has Biden, do you realize Biden's been in, in politics for a long, long time? And one of the things he's always, always, always done has been a, a, a not a friend of Israel, always. Um, he's headed to Israel and Jerusalem theoretically this summer. He's, he's, they're, all, they're all bracing themselves. This article came out of Israel New, National News. I didn't write this article. Um, but I'll just read you what the Jews are saying about Biden's coming to uh, Jerusalem. They said, this foolish president who's been wrong on every important issue throughout his political career thinks that dividing Israel's ancient capital will herald peace. Oh, how the mighty are so out of touch with reality and how they endanger the Jewish people with their political naivety. Biden has a long history of demanding that Jews surrender our ancient land to an implacable uh, and uh, um, belligerent enemy. It goes back beyond Bennett and Bibi Netanyahu, Menachem Begin. Um, Biden threatened to cut off US aid if Menachem Begin, you guys remember Menachem Begin, you older people here? Um, Biden threatened Begin back when he was in Congress um, to remove Jews from Judea and Samaria. He said, get those Jews out of there, Biden said. That was back in 1982. The, the um, prime minister of Israel told uh, Biden, he defended the right of Jews to live in their ancient land and, um, and uh, legitimized, uh, um, all the world bodies uh, were acknowledging that the Jews had a right to Israel, but, but um, uh, Biden kept telling him, nope, get those Jews out of there. Begin stood up to Biden, tell him this, I am a proud Jew, 3000 years of culture are behind me and you will not frighten me with threats. That's what he told Biden back in 1982. Uh, Menachem Begin went on, he said, if at any time you demand us to yield on a principle in which we believe while threatening to cut aid, we will not abandon the principle which we believe. So you can threaten aid, money or whatever, we don't care, Begin said. Now, did you know that even Golda Meir scolded Biden? Did you know that? You, now, if you know Golda Meir, she's, um, she was one of the great leaders uh, in the world, uh, but she led Israel in kind of an amazing way. But um, uh, amongst uh, his similar threats that Biden was making back in those days, um, that they should also adopt um, you know, more kicking out of Jews out of settlements and what have you. Um, Gold in my ear gave Biden uh, <clears throat> decades ago uh, uh, rebutting the same demands. She said this, <clears throat> she said, Senator Biden, we Israelis have a secret weapon. We have nowhere else to go. Um, what she was saying there, and this is the Jewish mindset, if you kick the Jews out of Israel, they have nowhere else in the world to go. That is the nuclear option for them. They actually, their military has a term for it, the Samson option. The Jews say, if, if the world threatens our existence as a nation, we'll take everybody down with us. We have nowhere else to go. So you better not threaten Israel because of the Samson option. Remember how Samson took down the whole thing, killed himself in the process, but all more Philistines died in that story than any other uh, time in, in the Philistine story. So Golda Meir is basically saying, yeah, you, you threaten us, uh, we have nowhere else to go. That's our secret weapon. Um, and so, you know, um, this is the picture they put on that article I thought was kind of, you know, telling. Um, but <clears throat> throughout the ages, the presidents of the United States have always tried to handle Jerusalem. They, every president thinks they're gonna be the one to solve the Arab Israelis. So here's the Arab Israelis and there's, you know, um, Jimmy Carter and there's always the money shot. Every president tries to get the money shot, whether it's uh, you know, Bill Clinton, that's the money shot, hands outstretched. You know. uh, there's Yasser Arafat, the guy I was talking about, the, he's the Palestinian. But you see these guys, um, these guys, every president wants to be the one to solve the Israeli prob uh, problem. Even George Bush gave his attempt with the Arabs and the Israelis. Um, uh, Barack Hussein Obama uh, tried to get his money shot with uh, the, the Arabs and Israelis. Um, Joe Biden even met with the prime minister of Israel. Uh, and here's that picture. Um, uh, true story, he fell asleep, he, he fell asleep 
when the prime minister of Israel came to talk to him. Uh, that's, that's a true story. Um, but um, this Arab-Israeli problem, the Jews, they understand the Arabs don't want to have half of Jerusalem or part of Israel. They want all of it. This is in Manhattan, you know, uh, Palestinians chanting. And this is something you see all the time. Basically, the Arabs are saying, we want all of it. We don't want two states. This is a chant you can find all over the internet because that's what they believe. The Arabs have never acknowledged Israel as a, as a people group. Now, you say, Brett, what does that have to do with Zechariah 12? Did you see what it said in our text? The nation, verse three, the people that burden themselves with Jerusalem, try to fix the Jerusalem problem, try to handle the Jews in Jerusalem. The people, especially in the last days when the day of the Lord comes, what, what happens to those nations? Those nations, when they try to intervene, they'll, it'll cut them into pieces. All the other people will be gathered against it. The nations of the world are gathering against it, fulfilling prophecy. Um, check out how the uh, New International Version puts our verse here in our text. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Uh, the ESV puts it similarly. All those um, who, uh, uh, who lift it, will surely hurt themselves. In other words, massive worldwide hernia to the nations that try to lift Jerusalem and handle Jerusalem. Now, I know we're running out of time, we gotta hurry. Zechariah 14, flip just a page in your text here because we uh, even get a further description about what's gonna happen. And I believe this is gonna happen after the rapture of the church. And we're living in these times where all this could happen really soon, check it out. Verse, verse one of chapter 14. It says, behold, the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled, women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. Half the city. Do you understand those 67 borders? That's half the city. When Obama said, we need to get back to the 67 borders. Remember when Obama, the president said that? He was saying, chop Jerusalem in half. Just like the Bible prophecy says in the last days, they will seek to divide it in half and they're going to be successful. They're gonna chop it in half. Uh, that's gonna happen. Even though we would kind of wish that it didn't happen, it's gonna happen and it's gonna be a horrible thing. Verse three, then shall the Lord, what's gonna happen? The Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Does anybody remember when God fought in the day of battle? Can anybody give me an example of that? Remember when Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? The Lord showed up with a flaming sword and said, I'm gonna defeat Jericho. And Jer Jericho was crushed. Walls fell in, remember that whole story? And the Lord's got several places. Even an angel of the Lord fought in the day of battle against the Assyrians and killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Um, and the Lord's gonna intervene. When they divide Jerusalem, the world's gathered, nations gather against it. The Lord's gonna fight in verse four, it says, and his feet shall stand that day in the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east, toward the west. And there shall be a great valley and half the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half and toward the south. Um, now, what does this mean for you and me? What I explained to you in the history of Jerusalem, it's culminated to bring us to a place where the world is perfectly postured to do exactly what the prophet Zechariah says is gonna happen. The world is postured for, uh, to divide Jerusalem in half. We've had presidents saying that for a long time now, and Biden is one of the chiefest of those who say split Jerusalem in half. He's, he's the biggest fan of that. Zechariah says the nations that try to handle Jerusalem, they're gonna be broken. And if they're successful in dividing Jerusalem in half, that's when the Lord comes and says, I'm gonna fight for Jerusalem, I'm gonna fight for Israel, and I'm gonna crush the nations that tried to handle Jerusalem. And it's called the Battle of Armageddon, by the way. When all those nations gather, um, the Lord's gonna come. It's a second coming. And you say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, do you remember when Jesus comes in the second coming, who comes with him? 10,000s of the saints. You're gonna be involved in that battle. Now, good news, you're gonna be, you know, given a new body. And I think when they shoot you, they'll be like, ha, oh, you missed, you missed, you missed, you missed, you missed. Um, it's gonna be great. We're not, they're not gonna be able to kill us uh, in that, that time. It's gonna be great to fight on the Lord's side. But this is something that almost seems surreal, but it's actually gonna happen, the Bible says. 
And, um, and I believe we, we are seeing every player, every uh, chess piece is moved in position for Zechariah 12 <clears throat> and Zechariah 14 to come to pass. Um, you know, um, I, I, I love, you know, the reminder, you know, that you and I are supposed to know the times and the seasons, the Bible says, that we're living. And how will we know the times and seasons? The Bible gives us all kinds of hints so that we are not overtaken like a thief in the night. And that's what we have to look forward to is the Lord coming, rapturing his church. Then they're gonna try to divide Jerusalem in half after the rapture of the church. During the tribulation, they're gonna try to divide Jerusalem in half and the nations are gonna war against uh, uh, the Jews and against Israel at the end of the tribulation. And that's when the second coming of Christ is gonna happen. I see all the players ready to roll for that event. Could it be that you and I are living in those last days? I think it's real possible. I wouldn't say dogmatically. People have been wrong before and they thought the, the World War I was the Battle of Armageddon. The only problem with that is none of the players of that were matching the players we're talking about here in Zechariah. The players in the world today are all perfectly aligned for the end time scenario that the Bible talks about. I think it's an exciting time to be alive. And I watch and wait and look for the return of our Lord, the, the rapture of the church and uh, the coming of our Lord. It's gonna be glorious. Um, listen, this is not a time not to be Christian. This is a time to be saved. It doesn't you know, help you if you're still in your sin and you're, you're on the wrong side of the battle if you're that. You need to be saved. If you want to know more about that, man, come and talk to one of our pastors. Call us up at the church. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian, to be saved. Um, uh, that's the only comfort we can have is to know that we're gonna be saved during this time. So may the Lord give the church ears to hear. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that Biden doesn't make it to Jerusalem. Because uh, if he does... This very well could be the Lord's second. Maybe we should pray that he goes to Jerusalem. I don't know, because it will usher in maybe uh, the last days if he tries to divide Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much uh, that your word gives us such amazing prophetic truth, Lord. And we see the, the nations gathering just like your word says. Um, we shouldn't be shocked, Lord. Your word has shown itself to be true and right all throughout the centuries. Uh, but Lord, we take time to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, even as unrest is on the Temple Mount as we speak. People are arguing about who Jerusalem really belongs to, but we ultimately know you will rule and reign from Jerusalem. But until then, help us to let our light shine in this dark world. Help us to speak the truth in love, but with, with power. Uh, may the gospel reach the, even the hardest of hearts, Lord, and people accept your love and your forgiveness and salvation. So we pray blessing on your church now in Jesus' name, amen.